What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. What's going to happen with stimulus? President Trump stirring up stimulus talks. Congrats, you made it to Friday. Sometimes you just need to hear that positive reinforcement. You know what I'm saying? Like, you made it to Friday. You know who else made it to Friday with us? Mario Parker, Bloomberg White House reporter. Mario, what a week we've had in Washington and all over the country, huh? Yes, it's uh, been insane. <laughs> the news cycle <laughs> about a week ago was relentless. This is I know. something else. <laughs> Don't forget about the week before with the Supreme Court. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's just been relentless is a really good word. But you know what? You're a relentless reporter. Okay, so what did President Trump have to say today about fiscal stimulus? Well, today is a lot different than what he was saying earlier this week when he unilaterally called off talks. Today he said on Rush Limbaugh's program that he wants something bigger than even uh, Democrats or Republicans have even floated. So what does that mean? Because this is the first time that we've ever heard this from the White House. So he wants upwards of, what, $3 trillion? Were his, were his aides truly, like, were his aides expecting this, or did this catch everyone off guard? I suspect it caught everyone off guard because we had just uh, before he went on uh, pretty solidly that he had given consent for Steve Mnuchin to negotiate up to $1.8 trillion. Uh, the president subsequently, as I mentioned, uh, when on Rush Limbaugh said two uh, or said, excuse me, said something bigger. But his communications director after that said that the White House will look to do something below $2 trillion. So it's been a uh, pretty much of a whipsaw. It really is a whipsaw. Let's take a listen to what some of what Larry Kudlow had to say, speaking about Secretary Mnuchin and Speaker Pelosi and how their negotiations are going. Here's Larry Kudlow. Oh, looks like we are not, we don't have it yet, but we're going to talk about the comments that Larry Kudlow made uh, within the within the program. But Larry Kudlow basically saying that there were some positive developments and some breakthroughs with regards to the negotiations between President Trump uh, and and Democrats. And I, I really just time's running out. I mean, I'm really perplexed by this. And and and, and prepping for the show, Mario Parker, Bloomberg White House reporter, it it, it almost feels like. There isn't an understanding on anyone's part that there's an election on November 3rd. <laughs> and I don't even mean to be funny. I actually, like, I, I truly mean that. I, I, am I wrong? Is it, Do they understand that there's an election? No, I think the president understands it fully, given uh, that he really wants a package done. It, it would be a political uh, boom for him. 
Uh, and then I think Mitch McConnell uh, sees the election uh, looming. But uh, he's signaled that, you know, time is of the essence. He's kind of sounded the alarm in that, uh, that regard. But he's also signaled that his priority lays with uh, confirming Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Yeah, precisely. Okay, I'm told by our intrepid uh, soundboard operator, Marufo Hussein, that we do now have that sound that was just sliced from Larry Kudlow. Let's take a listen to what Larry Kudlow had to say about the negotiations. Here he is. Secretary Mnuchin, Speaker Pelosi, uh, will be on the horn uh, this afternoon. Okay, so they talked this afternoon, and then he says that he's hopeful for some positive developments. Here's more from Larry Kudlow. Developments are very positive. They are very constructive. Uh, This is uh, a breakthrough stuff. Breakthrough stuff on a breakaway Friday. Um, And so I I just don't know what more can be done, you know, and and it's interesting because I think the expectation, even from the market's perspective and coming up, we're going to talk with Eric Weiner about uh, the markets and what happened in the markets today. But the expectation was that the airline industry package would have moved and would have provided a win, so to speak, for both Democrats and Republicans, Mario. No, you're absolutely right. That would have been an easy one to score, uh, even if it uh, were piecemeal, uh, given that you want to, the, the White House would want to stave off uh, further unemployment. And that's, that's something that, that uh, the president and Nancy Pelosi both can agree on. All right, now let's switch gears into politics as we talk about the 2020 campaign race. What went on today in terms of will they or won't they debate next week in Miami? <laughs> it's, been a, it's been very similar to these financial negotiations, right? So the president team yeah. came out saying that they they would they do want to go forward with a debate um, that he will be okay. They, there was some whipsaw in that regard as well, uh, but we're not sure what's going to happen as of right now. There's a town hall scheduled for next Thursday with Joe Biden. The Trump folks have said that uh, or signaled that they may do some counter-programming. Oh, they want to do some counter-programming for sure. And we heard that it might even come on Monday. I- I've been hearing that they, yep, here it is. President Trump uh, is going to go to Florida, just crossed in my inbox, Donald J. Trump campaign press release. Trump campaign announces President Trump to deliver remarks at a Make America Great Again event in Sanford, Florida. Monday, 2020, October 12, 2020, 7 p.m. Eastern, President Trump is back on the campaign trail at a MAGA rally. Wow. Okay, so the expectations, I mean, this is going to be a fascinating, fascinating development on Monday in sunny Sanford, Florida. Mario Parker, walk us through what the Democrats are going to say about seeing the president back on the campaign trail, what the debate commission is going to say about the president being back on the campaign trail, and what his own his own campaign and, and, and Republican senators are going to say about it. Walk us through the dynamics of just how important it is that he's back on the campaign trail. Sure. It's, it's vital for the president to get back on a campaign trail. This had been the strategy uh, for his closing weeks of the election vis-a-vis, as you know, uh, 2016. Uh, it was his closing argument to just hit these, this, make this barrage of visits to states. Now, the problem, of course, is that the president is coming off of COVID, uh, COVID diagnosis. And coronavirus and his handling of it has been the main cudgel kind of wielded by Joe Biden and the Democrats who argue that the president hasn't taken this um, as uh, as seriously enough. 
it's also, of course, got to be a headache for Senate candidates uh, as well who would want the president to uh, act a little bit more uh, reserved in terms of resuming, you know, public appearances. We've we've heard some, you know, some concern about how he's handled the coronavirus, uh, or even lack thereof, where where Republicans have kind of distanced themselves from some of uh, his recent comments about it. So this won't be uh, welcomed necessarily by by fellow Republicans. Before his campaign, I mean, it does. I mean. Within the closing weeks of an election, the most powerful tool they have is the president's ability to generate headlines. Well, that's such a great point. What Mario Parker, Bloomberg White House reporter, just said is that that they view that as an asset, that they are able to generate headlines. The, the, the question is, are they generating the right headlines in order to get out their base? So from a strategic standpoint, and Mario, this is just so spot on because it's you know it's not our job in the media to say whether or not you know to take an, a, a stance on on a, on a political thing if it's the right or the wrong move but if if, if if they're saying that they want to turn out the base that's how they feel they will win this election if you look at it through that strategic standpoint then the headlines that they're drawing make more sense right mario no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the base is eager to—I was with uh, Vice President Pence on the road this week following the debate. And, I mean, you could just tell he still was getting crowds uh, in uh, Arizona and then also Nevada. I have to imagine that the president would get, you know, the usual crowds as well from his base who support him, who— um, support his handling of the coronavirus pandemic, who see, who who argue that uh, the media has been biased against the president. Democrats have looked to be biased, looked to, to attack the president unfairly as well. So, no, this is, uh, and the fact that it's in Florida, I mean, is a crucial state for the president's uh, prospects. So their bet is this, this to some degree, is going to be a base election. Who can turn their base out more? Were you in Salt Lake? I was in Salt Lake. You were? I I was, was. too. And I didn't even see you. (laughs) We're always busy running from two and four. That's what people don't understand. They think it's like, I didn't even see Mario. We were both in the same city in Salt Lake. That's that's what it's like. What's it like in a press bubble? What's it like in a COVID bubble? You don't even see your colleague. Mario, I'm so disappointed I didn't see you, my friend. Likewise. It's been months. It's been months. Mario, great job. Great job on the reporting as well. Keep up the excellent work, and thanks so much for spending the time with us on a Friday. Mario Parker, always out front, ahead of the story. Bloomberg White House reporter. I'm Kevin Cerilli. This is Bloomberg 991. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. 
So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. You know, I was going to put the story on my radar, but I couldn't wait. It's Friday, right? And uh, our next guest is just perfect for it. I'm obsessed with this story. The father of the VIX warns options glitch is costing investors millions. Robert Whaley is researching the impact of the ETP strategy tweaks. Windfall wealth transfers may be happening more. A study shows Alex Longley and Catherine Greenfield report on the Bloomberg terminal. Options on tech stocks may have dominated the headlines. But one of the leading minds in finance reckons this year's crazy markets have been stirring up trouble elsewhere in the system. Eric Weiner is with us. He is Bloomberg Markets Live Team Leader and the author of two books about Wall Street, What Goes Up and The Shadow Market. Uh, thank you so much, Eric, for joining us. I mean, this VIX thing, everybody's obsessed with it, Eric. Before I ask you about the market today, this volatility index thing. And Robert Whaley, who, who created the VIX index, is investigating a major problem in the market for derivatives of exchange-traded products. Who would have thought? Actually, anybody who follows this stuff. <laughs> I know, uh, right? <laughs> it's real. I mean, look, the, the VIX volatility, the volatility gauge is extremely important to look at. Uh, and being able to judge it has been a, uh, a big advance for, for the market as a whole. But when you look at the stuff, particularly this ETPs and ETFs and exchange-traded products where you're indexing things, uh, it, it's, that's where the blow-ups tend to happen. So the idea that um, I mean, I think the biggest blow up in the history of ETFs was like a, a three times VIX levered thing um, that basically was tra- chasing volatility. And the thing is about volatility is it moves so much that you can make a ton and lose a ton. And as the story, which was great, pointed out, is that it spills over into everything else. So you're you're looking at the whole, the overall market, and it's affecting the way people react in currencies. It's affecting the way people react in bonds, uh, and then obviously in stocks as well. So I mean, it, if if you follow ETFs, which I actually used to run for us, uh, and you are aware of what the VIX can do, this isn't all that surprising. But the story was awesome. The story was really, really cool. Father of the VIX. Yeah, Warning option stuff. glitch is costing investors millions. Okay, let's pivot now to what happened in the markets today. U.S. stocks rallied with the S&P 500 posting its biggest weekly increase since July as traders bet lawmakers are moving closer to providing more fiscal stimulus. <laughs> I don't know what they're – because I hear something different from a source every single day. What happened in the markets today, Eric? You know, the, that story or that, that narrative is real. Um, what what I think I mean you you talk to a lot of different people and basically what you hear is stock any excuse for stocks going up what you have is some some sort of explanation so today say it's stimulus and Trump saying that uh, I want to go bigger than the Democrats and stimulus is needed and if if we get a lot of it it will it will raise stock prices that that is true but the question is when. 
And traders aren't stupid, so they have to know that McConnell has already said that's kind of a no-go, and this does have to pass the Senate in order to get funded. So it seems as if investors are basically saying now, we know stimulus is coming at some point, and we don't care when. And that's actually kind of dangerous because there are time frames. And if you are going to stretch this out for as long, you know, into 2021, there will probably be a reckoning uh, before that happens. So, like, you know, you can be thinking that stocks are going to go up when this stimulus shows up. But if it doesn't show up until March, what happens before then? Okay, so uh, and you'll have earnings seasons, and you'll have a bunch of different other reports that will take stocks lower before they go up. And you have to be able to accept that pain. And I don't know that people have fully thought that through. Well, meanwhile, that's fascinating. It's fascinating because, you know, from, from where I sit, just in the conversations happening uh, down here in the nation's capital, uh, Eric Weiner, Bloomberg Markets Live team leader, uh, it, it's, it really is a, qu- a question of when and not if. And, and we've reported on this. You know, it's become a thread really throughout Bloomberg surveillance in the open as well as on Bloomberg Radio Sound On is when it's going to happen. It's going to happen either in the lame duck and or emphasis on and or because if it's Democrats, Mm -hmm. there's more likely going to be another round in the first quarter of next year as it relates to infrastructure and the like, you know, in the first quarter of next year. So it's, it's fascinating. Another major driving theme and narrative that has emerged throughout the markets uh, in the past several uh, uh, weeks is is. Still talking about vaccinations. You know, European stocks rose as a host of companies raised outlooks from Denmark's drug maker Nova Nordisk's AS to German online clothing retailer Zalando SE. But, you know, I'm looking at Nova Nordisk and, you know, they're still trading off of developments with the vaccine. It's look, Regeneron. I mean, you know, Regeneron and that antibody cocktail. (laughs) Who knew an antibody cocktail? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it made us want to reach for Jack Daniels looking at that. But the, the uh, I mean, when you look at what can be done, I mean, hope is in all of this. Would you, you're exactly right on, and everybody agrees with that, the idea that it's not if, it's when, it's when, and it's how much. So when you're looking at, say, the virus stuff, you're just taking, you're throwing a dart at a board and praying that you hit the one that is going to be the one that everybody has to buy. But nobody knows. You know, that you, you, there's knows. no way of knowing that. This is what volatility, this is where volatility is created, because suddenly a rumor gets out that X company's uh, drug is doing well, or X company's drug is, or Y company's drug is doing poorly, and then everybody piles in and out of these different things, and also into the exchange-traded funds that are linked to them, and this creates volatility in the market. And that this is where things just get hyped because of hope. Nobody sees the downside, they're just focusing on the upside, because it's where can you make money. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I want to ask you a question that I haven't been able to to ask every every day we do this segment. But I think you're just so incredibly perfect for it because you are the you wrote the book on it. What goes up, and and I ask you this: There's been a lot of confidence in the Fang stocks, uh, especially uh, given that during the pandemic and, and and people staying from home and they they were seen as as an area of being more stable. Now in my neck of the woods, you know we've got lawmakers on both sides of the aisle have an antitrust hearings on them. And I didn't really see that move the markets much this week. But here in Washington, there is this conversation being had about Facebook and Amazon uh, and and Google and, and all the likes. Now, 
do you see what go, I mean? Do you okay. sense in the long term, or where do you, where, where are they going to go? The tech stocks. Okay, that's so. This is actually something we have been talking about internally here. The thinking is that it's not going to happen. To, to be wow. quite honest and cynical about the whole thing, uh, the thinking is that it'll be a lot of noise, but that ultimately not much will come of it. If something comes of it, you're looking at something like AT and T. Right. I mean, you're looking at breaking up, you know, huge, huge companies into smaller, narrower focused channels that some will succeed and some will not. That'll dislocate the market enormously. But I don't think that the average trader is making that bet. They're going to bet 10 times a day that that the mark that the economy will eventually get some cash out of Congress. But they don't bet that Congress will hold technology's feet to the fire. Uh, and there are wow. a bunch of reasons why they would believe that, but this is where the human element of the market comes in. This is where the trader psychology comes in. They're just not going to buy that until they see it in a, in a much more concrete way. Fascinating. All right, all right. Eric Weiner, thank you so much. I hear you are a sports and a music fan, so tell us, what does that mean? Who's your favorite band? We have like 15 seconds. Who's my favorite band? Yeah. Oh God, the replacements probably. Wow. And then all the New York, all the New York bands, all the New York uh, teams. All Rangers, the bands. Giants. Nah, uh, nope. Yankees. You lost me. Go Eagles. Sorry. Go Birds. Go Birds. <laughs> Go, Birds. Go Eagles. E A G L E S. You're listening to Bloomberg 991. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Go big or go home. That's President Trump's message to Capitol Hill. But can he get a deal on fiscal stimulus? Plus, President Trump just within the last half hour saying that he is back on the campaign trail. I'll tell you when, where, and what's it mean for the 2020 race. Lot to get through. Breaking news just within the last 10 minutes. President Trump is headed back on the campaign trail. He will host a... Make America Great Again rally in Sanford, Florida on Monday. This, as his top campaign surrogates are also going to be uh, going all throughout the country, including uh, Ivanka Trump and, and other, in Arizona. 
uh, as well. Okay, we've got three of the best in the biz. Three of the originals. I got to start calling them the originals because they were on since the beginning of the show. Scott Trancer, CEO of Optimus and former data science director for Marco Rubio for president. I don't know why I said it like I was introducing the Transformers. Eli Yokley, senior reporter. Hey, Eli, congrats on your promotion. Senior reporter at the Morning Consult uh, covering politics. Uh, congrats, Eli. Thanks, man. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. We made it. And Luis Schiavone, journalist, senior lecturer at Johns Hopkins University's Cary Business School. Talk to me, you know, forever. Yeah, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, Luis. Thanks for, thanks for asking, my friend. Uh, okay, so he's going back on the campaign trail, Luis. Yeah, madness, complete madness. Who, who would go to see this man? It's insane. Uh, the, the, the whole prospect that we should all not be afraid of COVID when it leaves behind it such a trail of continuing physical hardship, the strokes, the, uh, the blood clots, um, the, uh, the continued lung damage, um, you, you know, not to mention the deaths. And to say that he's fine and we should all not be afraid, come on, come on. I mean, I, I believe in living your life, but I don't believe in taking unnecessary risk in any doctor, any personal physician. All right. Uh, would tell you not to take a personal risk. Luis, Luis, but there are a lot of people who support the president. I mean, he's like, you look at the polls in Florida. I mean, he's neck and neck. He says that he doesn't have the virus anymore. I mean, I, I just, I want to be, be careful here. I mean, Scott Trancer, I mean, you're, you're, you work for, for Marco Rubio. I mean, look, there's a lot of Republicans in Florida. Yeah, and not only that, it, Florida, he, he's got to win it. And in yeah. our modeling, every time Trump wins, he wins Florida, North Carolina. So, so if he loses Florida, it's effectively over for him on election night. And so I'm not a doctor, so I don't know whether he should go out from a medical from a medical standpoint, but from a political standpoint, he's got to do something to lock up the state of Florida and North Carolina. Do you think, is he trailing there now? We're going to get to Eli in a second, but Scott Tranter, based on your modelings over at Optimus, is he trailing there now? Yeah, based on our modelings of the absentee ballots returned and what's outstanding as well as polling, he's behind about a point or two. Okay, come in here, Eli Yokely. What do you have uh, for us over there at the Morning Consult? What do the polls say? Well, I mean, in Florida, we're seeing a pretty close race across all of the polling we're seeing. Um, this race has been pretty solid. I mean, not even a um, deadly illness inflicting the president has been able to change it. I mean, this we, we've seen Joe Biden nationally have a very solid lead. It's been a little closer in many of the states. Um, but uh, look, um, I don't know what it is going to take to change it. If you look at the national polls, there's like 4% of voters who are undecided at this point. I mean, you really have to wonder what it is they're waiting for at this point, you know, four weeks out from Election Day. Um, look, there's a lot of time. There's a lot of money still to be spent. Early voting is starting, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, at this, at this point, um, this is a pretty solid race nationally for Joe Biden, and he's winning. Eli, we're going to get into this throughout the program, but I just want to follow up with you in terms of what the polls are saying. Yesterday, we had a conversation about how split tickets, whether or not split tickets where people will vote uh, for a different uh, presidential candidate than they would for a Senate race. Have you been able to see, to track what the data says on that? Well, what we've seen so far has been a number of Republican senators in key states like North Carolina and like South Carolina, like 
like uh, places like Arizona have been underperforming Donald Trump's uh, performance among Republicans. And in turn, they're underperforming um, his standing in the polls generally. Um, that's something we're going to be watching in the next few weeks as these races come online. I mean, this is game time for the Senate campaigns. They've got the, many of them have debates tonight. Uh, folks are finally tuning in. They're about to blow their ad money. Um, we're going to be watching if that starts to shift in the coming weeks. But right now, um, most Democratic Senate candidates are performing about in line with Joe Biden. Um, most Republican incumbents are underperforming President Trump. Luis, uh, in, in, uh, Luis is one of the most senior reporters in Washington, D.C. for radio and broadcast. Uh, and what, what does history tell us about when people split tickets? Is that common? Or are people at this particular point in what has become a base turnout election, are people locked into their respective political parties? I'm thinking of Senator Joni Ernst over there in Iowa against Teresa Greenfield. On the face of it, Americans like to have a divided government. Americans don't like it when one party completely controls Washington. Yeah. But, Smart. you know, we, we, have, we have seen uh, cases where there have been dramatic changes in, in, in party domination, uh, both in the White House and in the Senate. I mean, if you go back to the Reagan election, how, how dramatic that was. And uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Trump actions, the Trump rhetoric, uh, you know, even this thrashing around going back on the campaign trail when it's not even clear that he, not only that he is not contagious, but the people around him are not contagious. It's, uh, lots of people would see that as being extremely irresponsible. And I think it's interesting that Mitch McConnell, the top Republican, the Senate majority leader in the Senate, says he himself has not been to the White House uh, for the past two months because he doesn't trust it. I mean, you know, the country is exhausted with this kind of thing, and the country has had it with having to struggle with COVID-19. They're just over it. All right. I mean, I hear you on that. I think, you know, you'll, you, Eli, did, did the polls reflect that? Well, I mean, we did an interesting test over the weekend whenever he put out a video on Twitter saying people shouldn't be afraid of, of coronavirus. And we showed that tweet to people in a poll and asked them if he was right or wrong. And like six in 10 voters said he was wrong. They're rejecting this message that they shouldn't be afraid of, of COVID, including independents, women, suburban folks, these key uh, demographic groups. And by the way, most voters disapprove of his handling of coronavirus. And as we've seen throughout the year, Things get harder for the president whenever the coronavirus is the number one thing in the news. And that's certainly been the case over this past week, including during the debate. Very, very interesting to see how the polling uh, and, and the actions in the polling and just seeing how it all, it all plays out. Look, I've said it once. I'll say it again. I talked to folks on the president's re-election campaign. They say they're going after the base. They want to amplify the base turnout. Coming up, we talk more policy and politics with a little personality with Scott, Eli, and Luis. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. What a week in Washington, folks. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Appreciate you spending some time with me on a Friday. Listen, we're going to keep it for policy now. All right, That's why I'm so grateful because I've got three policy wonks, nerds, on the program with me. I say that lovingly, fam. Scott Tranner, Eli Yokely, Luis Schiavone. Luis, have you been following the fiscal stimulus talks? Yeah, I have. All right, well, let's listen to what Larry Kudlow had to say today. I'm an optimist, Luis. You know this about me, right? right. Listen, to, listen, listen to what Larry Kudlow had to say uh, about the talks between Speaker Pelosi as well as Secretary Mnuchin. Here he is. The developments are very positive. They are very constructive. Uh, this is uh, a breakthrough stuff. All right, so it's breakthrough stuff. President Trump called into uh, Rush Limbaugh. Uh, earlier today. And he said he wanted a stimulus deal, Luis, that was significantly more, not than just what Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell wanted, but more than the $2.2 trillion that Speaker Pelosi wanted. This just comes after days in which he said that there were, that the deal was off the table until after the election. So is he, is he looking at this as a need now? Luis Schiavone. Well, he, when he said that he was walking away from the talks, and he was holding the line at what was it originally 1.4 trillion. Yes. Uh, th- there was a, a, a radical pullback on Wall Street, and by the way, tremendously unpopular politically in general. A lot of his constituency, uh, that a lot of the people who support him, they need the stimulus help. So for him to walk away from the table was really, really damaging. So now he's going back and he's telling Rush that he wants. I, I think was it, didn't he say 1.8 trillion the yeah, house passed 2.2 2 trillion. trillion and and Pelosi is asking uh for nothing less than 2 trillion so you know the the devil's in the details so now he's back up to 1.8 trillion look i don't really believe that they can go into the elections no yeah, i mean people are already voting but the election day november 3rd without having approved a stimulus bill that is really damaging to everybody who is standing for election. That's that's a great point because, you know, I I thought it was remarkable uh, to hear Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell say at a uh, press conference in Kentucky, uh, essentially, that they agree. Uh, We lose sight of this in the media. They agree on the bedrock of the the additional stimulus. It's just a matter of how much. And Leader McConnell saying that they don't feel 
the Republicans don't feel that there that this should be a blank check that has not that has nothing to do with COVID nineteen. Eli Yokely, is this showing up in the polls at all? Where does more stimulus resonate? Is this a driving issue in any of the polls? It's a big deal. Um, we um, asked voters for the last like six months uh, throughout this pandemic. Um, they're what they're thinking about of top issues for Congress, and consistently in every single poll we've done, and there have been dozens of polls at this point, like seven in 10 voters said it should be a top issue, more than health care, more than climate change, more than immigration, more than anything else. This is ranked on the top of the list. And by the way, this is a political winner. I mean, because of that, it's a political winner. And Donald Trump and the Republicans are getting the blame for this not happening. I think that Trump probably, the people around him probably are seeing the same numbers that we are seeing, that uh, they're not blaming Nancy Pelosi for these talks falling apart, um, namely because Trump put his name on it whenever he tweeted that he was walking away. And so um, the fact that he is coming back to the table, I think, is a, probably a recognition of the political reality that um, spending money in an election year is a good thing, number one. And number two, uh, whenever the pandemic is the number one thing on voters' minds right now, um, they've got to respond to that. Scott, so what? Hey, take that, us, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say one thing. Let's assume for a second they come to an, an agreement this weekend. It's got to pass the House. It's got to pass the Senate. And then he's got to sign it. And the Senate also has to pass uh, or also wants to confirm a judge. Um, while I think it would uh, help him politically, by the time something like this could theoretically be signed by him, it's our projections that in the battleground states like Florida, North Carolina, um, Pennsylvania, et cetera, about 40 percent of the, of the expected voters will already vote. So while I agree with everyone, it's something he's got to do, it's got to, it, it, and it will help him. It's almost going to come after a significant chunk of these these important voters. Say that one more time. Forty percent, forty percent of voters in, in which states will have already voted by when? Florida, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania, three key states for the president. Um, our models show that we'll have already had forty percent of the people who are going to cast votes in this election have already returned their ballots um, by the time we get to a realistic vote in the Senate and a signing by the president two two and a half weeks from now. Wow. 40% of people, 40% yeah. of voters in those battleground states. I mean, that's just remarkable in and of itself. Luis, I mean, you, you, you hear that that type of uh, incredibly, incredibly ac fascinating uh, behind-the-scenes look, really, from Optimus right there, from uh, CEO of Optimus, Scott Traner, uh, Luis. And, and, and I hear that, and I think this is going to be such a turbulent ride between now and the weeks, really, potentially, that follow November 3rd. You alluded to this, Luis. Give us the facts of what we know about just the dynamics of this volatility that's seemingly about to bubble over. So, look, you know, I mean, 40%, yeah, that really is a very, very interesting figure, and it is shocking, but you still have 60% of the people who, who still have to vote. And it can be argued that over the past, you know, couple of weeks, especially uh, at the dawn of his uh, announced COVID infection, uh, the president has been making blunder after blunder and, uh, you know, behaving in erratic ways, calling for an indictment of a past president. I mean, whoever does that, who calls on an entire nation to ignore the severity of a pandemic that uh, uh, has taken 
I have always have the Johns Hopkins uh, tracker up on my uh, uh, on on my screen, but it has taken a number of uh, you know you know millions affected millions and millions of people killed. I think more than let's see the death toll globally is now 1.056 uh, globally in the United States. Uh, the the 7.4 million confirmed cases, 210,000 deaths. You know, this kind of thing, um, it's not the kind of thing that really inspires confidence. So uh, so he really has to start to get it together. Now, tonight he's going to be on uh, on on one of the Fox shows yeah, getting yeah. Um, a, a virtual <laughs> physical. Come on. I mean, it's, right. it's We're gonna really talk extreme. More. We're going to talk more about it coming up next. I'm Kevin Cerilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 991. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I am the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Earlier today, I was at the State Department uh, on a beautiful sunny day here in Washington, D.C., and I spoke with the Undersecretary for Economic Affairs, Keith Kroc. Uh, the Undersecretary, of course, is has a wide portfolio, especially as it relates to dealing with technology services. And he's been really busy traveling the past couple of months as they've tried to bolster the U.S. security and allied front in terms of better protecting America's 5G networks. It's one of those nonpartisan areas that will continue regardless of the outcome of the November 3rd election. Uh, It has really been a driving, driving uh, force in terms of U.S. foreign policy, not just at the State Department and within the White House, but also, of course, uh, with Democrats even in, in the Senate, uh, as well as, of course, Republicans. Uh, but Republicans and Democrats up on Capitol Hill really aligned on, on how to do this. I've been struck from the geopolitical sense. And, you know, we've been talking so much about 2020 politics recently, as we should. You know, I get it. But I've been struck from the geopolitical sense. And you'll hear this in my interview exclusive with Undersecretary uh, of Economic Affairs, Keith Kroc, how Germany shifted. Really, Germany has significantly shifted in terms of their approach to China and and the Communist Party of China. Angela Merkel, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, shifting her strategy in terms of how she's dealt with China on uh, a host of different issues, chief among them, 5G technology. So we get into that. We get into the dynamics of, of how to bring Europe how to get Europe to act uh, more appropriately with regards to to China and 5G technology. And how do you do that, um, especially when it's such a fractured economic time? Take a listen to what he told me about uh, his recent trip to Europe. The tide has totally turned, Kevin. Um, I was, it was eight countries, uh, 10 cities. You know, the big news is the integration of the clean network with the EU clean toolbox. And, you know, uh, the countries I went to, Luxembourg now has picked nothing but clean vendors in 5G. This morning, Belgium announced it. Uh, The big one was Germany. And that is where they're, they're about ready to issue regulations that, in essence, will exclude 
Huawei. And then we saw the same thing with regard to Austria, Portugal, Spain, Estonia, Albania. So now uh, the transatlantic uh, alliance in 5G is secure. So it's about 25 of the 30 NATO nations. Well, let me press you on this. Why the shift, specifically with Germany? It seems that in recent weeks there's been a shift with Germany. What changed? By the way, I, I really think it's a combination of three factors. Um, the first one is, and I, I, I spent a lot of time with NATO, with Deputy Secretary uh, Gioana, and he said, look, we can't afford to have a fractured NATO. We, we need the 5G civilian networks in peacetime and wartime. We can't have some that have trusted vendors and some that have untrusted vendors. So that's factor number one. The second is the 5G EU clean toolbox. And I met with my old friend, Terry Baton, who's the EU commissioner. And, and a lot of people don't know this, but uh, uh, he announced it, that the board of directors for the telcos in the EU have to make the decision. And if they choose a high-risk supplier, which is basically the Chinese suppliers, and something goes wrong, they are personally liable. That's huge. And then the third thing is that, that integration with the clean network, and they can see that momentum all around the world. Even you look at some of the economic data of some of these Chinese telecommunication firms, whether it's uh, Huawei or whether it's even uh, supply chains like ZTE and whatnot, and they're making a lot of money. Even despite Europe moving elsewhere, their profits are booming. Does that concern you? How does the U.S. diminish some of the, the clout of these companies? Well, by the way, I, I think you're going to see it show up uh, in Huawei's numbers. Uh, eventually, you know, they're a private company, so who knows uh, with these guys. But, uh, I mean, you can see their deals are evaporating all around the world. Uh, in February, last February, they announced they had like 95G contracts. The most we can count outside of China is seven. And meanwhile, uh, going back to China, you were just in Taiwan. I want to ask you about that in a second. But specifically on Chinese payment, uh, digital payments, you look at Alipay, for example. Uh, what is the administration going to be doing or what, sir, are you and your team doing uh, about many of the national security economic concerns pertaining to these companies? By the way, I can't talk about our internal deliberations. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a cause for uh, concern. So that's about all I can say at this point. Meanwhile, you were in Taiwan. You were attending a funeral. Uh, and tell us what happened. How was that? Well, I, I went over for the, uh, the funeral for President Lee. He's their father of democracy. It's like he's like their George Washington. Um, I was the highest ranking uh, State Department official since 1979. Uh, when I went over there, uh, the, the, the Chinese sent 37 fighters and bombers to break Taiwan. Uh, airspace um, and, and uh, but I can tell you I had such a great meeting with President Tsai and also uh, many of the CEOs we had an economic dialogue on, on many issues they are a great partner a great friend they're a role model for capitalism and democracy in that part of the world a role model for capitalism and democracy. That was the Undersecretary of Economic Affairs, Keith Kroc, speaking to me exclusive, exclusively earlier today outside of the Harry S. Truman Building at the State Department. Uh, beautiful day in Washington, D.C. Uh, it, it's airing right now on Bloomberg uh, Television, uh, cross platform as well. Our thanks to Keith Kroc, of course. You know, and it, it is so incredibly worth noting uh, and, and underscoring just how. 
he was over in Taiwan to attend the funeral of the head of state. And the Chinese then flew more than two dozen planes uh, all over the sky in a military drill simply because the U.S. sent the undersecretary of state uh, to Taiwan. It's, it's, it's fascinating, the developments on the U.S. and China front, and they, they are happening so incredibly quickly. I, I want to bring back in Eli Yokely just for the remainder of this block before we bring in the rest of the panel. Eli is uh, a senior reporter at the Morning Consult, and I ask you this frequently, Eli, but in terms of international perception, wh how do Americans view China? A lot of folks, um, especially Republicans, were blaming China for the, the spread of the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, Trump's messaging on that issue um, certainly penetrated voters' minds. Um, you, you zoom out a little bit and you ask um, who voters trust more to deal with this. I mean, it's come up in the campaign a lot, as you know. I mean, we've seen in the debates um, Donald Trump's accused Joe Biden of doing China's bidding and everything. Um, voters uh, give Joe Biden the slight advantage on dealing with China, actually. Um, about 44% say he's uh, the most trusted on the issue. Another four in 10 say Trump is. And so um, Joe Biden has a slight advantage on this issue. They've tried to use it in the campaign against him, especially some of the outside groups supporting Donald Trump. But um, that messaging really hasn't yet broken through. It really is incredibly, incredibly fascinating, especially uh, when you look at how the coronavirus uh, has played into this race, as Eli just so correctly points out, I mean, just the mistrust that, that Americans have uh, with the Communist Party uh, of, of China. The Pew Research Center unveiled the results. I'm reading from the National Review. The Pew Research Center unveiled the, national, the, unveiled the results of a new survey of public attitudes in 14 countries, including the United States and most of the major European countries, finding that the pandemic has seriously worsened public perceptions of China. According to Pew, quote, today, a majority in each of the surveyed countries has an unfavorable opinion of China. And in Australia, the United Kingdom, Germany, the Netherlands, Sweden, the United States, South Korea... <sighs> Spain and Canada, negative views have reached their highest points since the center began polling on this topic more than a decade ago. Wow. Wow. Think of that, about that. Uh, 14 countries. I just rattled them all off. Pew Research Center. Seriously worsening the public perceptions of China. Uh, and it's, an, it's just, it's remarkable. Australia in particular. And of course, we've, we've, talked about it briefly on this program over the past uh, couple of weeks. Australia in, in particular, it's just really remarkable to see that spike. And of course, they had arrested, sent back that journalist and whatnot. Remarkable to see. I'm looking at these charts right in front of me. Remarkable to see the mistrust in China around the world. I'm Kevin Cirilli. What's on the panel's radar? That's coming up next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We made it to Friday. Never thought it would come, but it did. And what a busy, busy week, month, and year, yes, year, that we have all 
been covering uh, on a beautiful, beautiful day here inside of the nation's capital. It's time now, of course, for my favorite part of the program, what is on the panel's radar. Uh, and there's so much news to get through, never enough time. Scott Tranter, CEO of Optimus, Eli Yokely, senior reporter for Morning Consult, new promotion, well-deserved. Luis Giavoni, journalist and senior lecturer at John Hopkins University, Cary Business School. Uh, Luis, I'll start with you. What is on your radar? Well, this is on my radar. I am so inspired by the Nobel Peace Prize going to the United Nations World Food Program. And I love the way they put that, that that the World Food Program is preventing hunger from being used as a weapon of war. And what an inspiring second act by the executive director of the program, David Beasley, who used to be the governor of South Carolina, and now he runs this Nobel Prize-winning organization that at one point during the pandemic was running the largest operational airline in the world, getting food out to people who are in need. So that's what's on my uh, radar. Congratulations to them, that. and uh, we should also we should we should all rise to their inspiration. I love that. That's such a brilliant one. Such a brilliant one, especially uh, in in a time. A time like we find ourselves in, I mean, just to see what the United Nations food programs have been doing and organizations all like it. You know, I think so much of the one campaign uh, and what they've done with PEPFAR and, and of course, uh, what Bush World did with PEPFAR uh, when George W. Bush was in was in the White House as well. Brilliant, Luis. Appreciate that. Uh, Scott Chancer, what's on your radar? Uh, obviously, it's elections. One of the one of the races or one of the set of races no one's really looking at is. The House of Representatives. We're all looking at the Senate and the presidential, but right now our modeling right. has. You're right. You're calling me out. Scott's calling me out on a Friday. I haven't spent enough time on this. <laughs> I, I, he, you know, leave it to Scott. <laughs> well, the big, the big news is for the first time ever in our model, the Democrats are going to look to be about to net three seats in the House, which given the position they were in coming in today, we thought even in a bad year, the Republicans were going to pick up a seat or two. But if they, if the Democrats pick up three seats, look for an interesting leadership race on the Republican side in January. That could you know, change a lot of things going forward. From your models, is the blue wave real? Is it real in the sense that there's a real chance that Democrats could take over all three branches of government? Scott Tranter, CEO of Optimus, a Republican uh, who advised Rubio for president. Yeah, in our models, as of today, taking over or keeping control of the House, taking control of the Senate, and taking control of the presidency, the Democrats are sitting at just north of 50%. Wow. So that's a coin flip. It's a coin flip that there could Wow. Scott Tranner, every time I talk to you, I learn. Because seriously, folks, optimists, they do this stuff inside and out. And just to hear a, a Republican strategic firm say that it's a coin flip for all three branches of government— is striking, just striking. What's what's fueling this, Scott? Is it is it the suburbs? What is it? Well, interestingly, for the Senate, um, it's it's safe seats like Lindsey Graham's seat in um, uh, South Carolina, Don Sullivan's seat up in Alaska, seats in Montana, seats in Iowa that are currently in play. Um, that's that's fueling on the Democrat side. On the president side, we we spent the whole show talking about it. Um, president. The president has just lost support among seniors, lost it among suburban women, um, lost in a lot of places. Now, they're still voting to be happened. They're still campaigning to happen, but it's, it's not looking good right now. Okay. Okay. Eli Yokely, what's on your radar? Well, I'm watching to see how much more Taylor Swift makes it into your uh, opening music here. 
um, <laughs> to replace the Bruce Springsteen. Um, look, I'm going to be watching the uh, the Scotus. I'm not offended. Next week. That didn't even no. offend me. I'm not embarrassed. I have no guilt. <laughs> I have no super shame. Cool. I appreciate yeah, that, no Luis. You know what? You, yeah. Well, clearly, um, clearly, you tried to throw some shade, and I just said not having it. Not no, having uh, it on this Friday. Joe, I'm ta- I can I can be down with Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. No, you're gonna bring this up and on a Friday <laughs> in the last segment, and then expect me to turn a blind eye to it, Eli Yokely. I'm not gonna do that. Taylor well, Swift. Reason, she's he's the reason Joe Biden endorsed her, as you may know. I um, did not know that. There was no political statements being made with my music choice. I listened to Kanye. I listened to Taylor. <laughs> I listened to all different types of politically ideological music. So, Eli, now I will let you tell me what is on your radar, my friend. You know, I'm, I'm See, Murata, I was so calm. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to be watching these Amy Coney Barrett hearings next week. Good, um, good. Yeah, yeah. This, very this important. We saw this week. We saw a support for her nomination uptick, like nine points since the um, since the announcement. Almost half of voters support her confirmation to the Supreme Court. Democrats messaging about delaying the hearings until after the election really hasn't broken through yet. Um, I think part of this, and some of our data backs this up, is a lot of the news, other than the president's health, didn't break through next week, and maybe ironically, Donald Trump's absence from the Amy Coney Barrett discussion because of it has maybe helped. Her um, gained some support because she's grown with independents and Republican and, and Democrats, and so um, this will be a big week for um, Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, Senator Schumer and, and, and even um, California Senator Kamala Harris, as she uh, takes the takes her seat in the Judiciary Committee, to try to make the case against um, Donald Trump getting this nominee on the court. You know, it's 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 really really important, and especially just given the urgency that Republicans are feeling, and especially as Scott Chancer just uh, described, the very real possibility of a blue wave, uh, and it's just going to be really remarkable to see whether or not there is any of this dramatic shift, this dramatic shift as it relates uh, to changing the trajectory of of this race. I'll tell you what's on my radar. I still can't believe believe this story. I, I find it horrifying. Six accused of a plot to kidnap the governor. We talked about it yesterday. We checked in with our Detroit, Michigan bureau chief. Reading from the Wall Street Journal, six men were arrested and charged with plotting to kidnap Michigan's governor as part of a plan to overthrow elements of the government and attack law enforcement personnel, according to a federal criminal complaint unsealed Thursday. The complaint says the suspects had conducted surveillance on the summer home of Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer at least twice, I didn't know this yesterday, at least twice in preparation for an attack. Their goal was to take Miss Whitmer to a secure location in Wisconsin and, quote, try, end quote, her for treason before the presidential election in November, according to the complaint. I, I, that story to me is, is just absolutely, incredibly, incredibly horrifying, Luis Giovanni. Yeah, well, you know, um, yeah, horrifying. And do you remember when all those people with guns stormed into the Michigan legislature, which yes. was also horrifying? Uh, but I, I think it's really important that we continue to call them terrorists and not oh, members of true. a militia, right? Well, because that's, you know, yeah, they, I agree, they, domestic they, terrorism. They're, 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 yeah, their 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 self identification is militia, and so they identify with you know the 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 colonists. But no, they are they are domestic terrorists. And well, this let's is listen. Let's FBI... listen to Governor Whitmer because I just was told by our producer that we have a, a soundbite. Here's G- Governor Gretchen Whitmer speaking earlier. Here she is. This White House has a duty 
to call it out and they won't do it. In fact, they encourage it. And that's precisely why as a country, we have a choice between an incredibly decent human being and Joe Biden and, and what we've seen the last four years. So there you have it. I mean, Governor Whitmer uh, meeting earlier today with uh, uh, Dr. Jill Biden uh, in Michigan, uh, mind you, as this story has just really rocked, rocked the battleground state uh, of Michigan. My thanks to Scott Tranner, CEO of Optimus, former data science director for Marco Rubio for president, who I also think could be running again for 2020. Scott, yes or no, Willie? Yes. Yeah, 2024. Yeah. Okay. We heard it there. Eli uh, Yokely. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't even dodge. Didn't even dodge me. I appreciate yeah. that. Tell him to come on. I mean, Eli Yokely, senior reporter. All right. Luis Schiavone, thank you. And Eli, this is for you. This is Kanye West, just to prove the point that I can play Taylor and Kanye on the show. <laughs> thank you so much, Eli Yokely, senior reporter covering politics at Morning Consult. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.